Welcome to the Craft Beer Showdown, where opinions are given and information is key. In this episode, we're trying to be sour. Amanda and I look at one of our favorite styles of beer, sour beers, check out some beer news from around the internet, and try a few beers hoping to find a good sour. So sit back, relax, and have a listen to episode 8 of the Craft Beer Showdown, Trying to be Sour. Welcome to episode 8 of the Craft Beer Showdown. I'm here once again with my trusty sidekick, Amanda. Say hello, Amanda. I don't want to be a sidekick. So in today's episode, I have a couple of interesting things to talk about. So we'll just kind of jump into them. Uh, Before we jump into it, though, have a couple beers that we're drinking throughout the show today so we can actually talk about them instead of just having a couple real quick like last time. The first beer that we're having on air tonight is the 961 beer from Mazrat Yeshawa. Okay. I liked it. That was good. Uh, Lebanon. So uh, it, this is a porter. Um, we're looking at about 5.6% for it. I actually got this out of the monthlyclubs.com uh, craft beer club, uh, which I'll put some links up for. Um, really interesting beer. I have no idea how you'd find it other than this club. It's actually out of Lebanon. Uh, 961 is their country code, so that's the name of the brewery. Yeah, so not Mount Lebanon for the locals. Yeah, actually the, the country that, uh, let's see, that uh, had a July War of 2006, which is why the brewery started. So I guess to start, really good beer, kind of kind of toasty, a little chocolatey. It's, mal- it's uh, mild, malty, easy drinking. I, I agree, totally chocolatey at the end, which is nice. Yeah, all around pretty awesome beer. So I've got a couple other interesting ones to drink tonight, but we'll kind of drink that one as we go to start. Try not to blow out the palate this week. So first big thing that I wanted to talk about since... We are in Pennsylvania. Is something very near and dear to our hearts. And that is the privatization of beer and liquor in Pennsylvania. So, for those of you that aren't in Pennsylvania, we have a fully privatized liquor system so that the state owns all of our state stores and really cracks down on uh, where we can sell beer, how we sell beer, and all of that. If you're not in PA, it goes even beyond that, though. I mean, if you are listening from out of state, then you are accustomed to going to a gas station or a grocery store and picking up your alcohol. Uh, That is something that you have never been able to do in PA. We had to go to specialty stores, which get to pick their own liquor, you know, out of the country, out of the world, and that's what all of these state-run stores can carry. It's not like they're all carrying different things. If you go to one liquor store... You're going to get the same thing you get at any other liquor store, unless it's a slightly larger one and they have more shelf space, then they'd update it. With the beer, uh, you had to go to specific beer stores. There's nothing convenient about buying alcohol in PA. And a good thing to bring up then is that this shipment of the Beer of the Month Club that I got will say is slightly less than legal in Pennsylvania. So I probably didn't get it sent to me in PA. Definitely not, (laughs) Um, if you're law enforcement. (laughs) But that's one of the many things that some senators are looking to change. And there's a lot of things back and forth. It's actually starting to get into the Senate now and get talked about. So not a whole lot to actually mention about it. Just kind of a heads up that along with some other states that have started allowing homebrewing and some other things, Pennsylvania is really trying to, some people have called it, uh, free our beer. It's making big news because this is the farthest it's ever made 
in PA, through legislation and everything. So people who are against what we're doing right now are afraid um, because it's a big change. Uh, you have, for years and years, you've had certain stores that control alcohol sales, and now they're about to lose it. It's a, it's a hot, hot potato issue right now, that's for sure. So basically, since a lot of people listen to this aren't in Pennsylvania, you know, the, the most I really want to talk about is just that. And if you are in PA... I'll put some links in the show notes if you want to read up about it. Talk to your representatives about how you feel about it, if you know one way or the other. And if you are not in Pennsylvania, you know, uh, know that there's a lot of states that don't have things as good as your state right now, and that you can you can be thankful that you have some things that you do have. And there's even some states that don't allow things even more so than us. So it's really surprising when you start looking at it how. Liquor laws and beer laws are different from state to state. Does Ohio still have their uh, alcohol limit on beer? Uh, yes. they. I think they raised it, though. So, yeah, that's a great example. Ohio has a limit on the ABV of beers that they sell, which means that right now they can't sell 120 minutes from Dogfish Head. So, a lot of weird laws out there. Definitely interesting when you look from state to state. But like I said, I'll for those of you in PA or those of you just interested, I'll post a, a couple links in the show notes about that PA privatization. Um, so the next kind of thing was uh, something that I was kind of hoping wouldn't happen. Not really craft beer related, but Anheuser-Busch InBev, AB InBev, actually completed their purchase of Grupo Modelo, which makes them, what I believe, the largest beer and liquor purveyor in the world? I think it would have to. Yeah. So that's... Um, A $20.1 billion merger, folks. Billion. I imagine most people listen to this are craft beer people, so you don't drink the beers that AB and Bev or, you know, the the beverages that Grupo Modelo have. But... You Remember, know, you're in the minority. You know, these groups aren't giant, you know, because of craft beer people. They're giant because of history and liquor law. Yeah. Um, uh, interesting fact, in 2012, craft beer was 4% of total beer sold. So, a lot of, not only just beer out there, like, a lot more craft beer or, you know, cheaper beer out there. Remember that these guys are changing the laws. You know, so if you have twenty billion to buy another company in cash, yeah. you have a lot of money to change the way that laws are made to make federal and state laws work better for you. So this just means that more you know, more laws and more things will start going A B and Bev's way. Or uh, more craft breweries will be purchased by A B and Bev. Yeah, which really means honestly, you know, if you really care about craft beer and you care about the you know, the idea behind it that they are small, independent breweries with natural ingredients and everything that makes up a craft beer or a craft brewery, you know, if you try a new beer, you might want to do a little bit of research and just see, you know, who owns them. Because it looks like some of them are going to start being owned by people we don't like. Which is an excellent segue to our third topic. One of the only, so to speak, craft breweries that I know of that are owned by one of the big guys is Goose Island, uh, AB and Bev. There was an interesting article on Boston.com uh, this previous week that, you know, surprise, surprise, people from Goose Island are very happy with AB InBev. I imagine they wouldn't be posting an article saying that they hate them, but... Would it do any good if they did? Yeah. The interesting thing here is technically, number one, they're not really considered craft. 
because they are uh, owned by AB InBev. So technically, not really a craft brewery. The AB InBev kind of still plays off of the craft brewery idea with them. It hasn't really changed too much of recipes or anything like that, but you know, one of the major things there is that they're not independent anymore. So this article pretty much just says that the people from Goose Island are very happy with AB InBev because um, that extra influx of money has allowed them to do a couple things that they weren't able to do before, like make more bourbon country stout. Uh, see, this is where this kind of stuff gets a little bit tricky. Obviously, Goose Island has to be happier reaching a broader audience and being able to make more of these beers that they um, have always been touted for. I mean, if you go out and you can't get your hands on some kind of rare beer, it makes you want it more. But at the same time, you would buy it all the time if you could. And actually, this Boston.com article says what this you know acquisition has done has allowed us, meaning Goose Island, to brew one Bourbon County a week. Um, that's an entire batch of it. So I don't know what that says. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. It's gone from being this, you know, rare beer that, you know, had a lot of time and patience and effort and love that went into it into being almost like a, a Bud Light product that can be churned out over and over and over again. So a little bit back information about Goose Island. Uh, the article actually says, and I didn't know this until I read it, that Goose Island was the first brewery to use used liquor barrels to age their beer. So, you know, is it a good thing that we can get more of it? Possibly. Uh, if, you know, if you're a real, a real stickler for craft beer, then you probably won't be drinking that beer anymore. And you do have a lot of people who say that the uh, Bourbon County Stout has been dumbed down. It's been watered down. Um, I, unfortunately, never got to try it. Uh, before their purchase, uh, just because Goose Island, until very recently, was not available around here um, and just didn't do the kind of traveling to pick one up. So I've only ever had the quote-unquote dumbed-down Bourbon County Stout. It's still really good. I just can't compare it to what it used to be. So, I guess you can take that for what it is. That beer will be more available, but it's not really from a craft brewery anymore. It's always strange to think about this, too, because, um, of course, we... We rip a good deal on AB and Bev and Anheuser Busch and Miller and Coors and everybody else that's making these sort of um, just domestic watered down brews. But the real shame of it is their systems are perfect. Their brewing systems are absolutely perfect. They could do anything they wanted to on these giant plant brewing systems. So theoretically, they could brew a very, 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 very good beer. Uh, they just choose not to. All of their brewers, you know, are. I've gone through the entire formal education. These are master craftsmen brewing a watered-down lager week after week after week after week. Um, and I think that's where the real shame of it lies. Yeah, I mean, I've said this before in posts that it takes a lot of skill to brew a beer, you know, week after week. That, that tastes, tastes identically. The exact yep. same. Especially a lager. Across countries and across continents. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they do know what they're doing. And to be honest, we wouldn't be able to buy as much of our craft beer as we can, you know, in the distributor, in the bars, if it wasn't for the money from the the big guys going out the door. You know, distributors, no distributor will stay open, at least, you know, in most areas, just selling craft beer. Right now, it's the bread and butter. Exactly. Well, I think we're going to take a quick pause and open a new beer. We'll be right back. And we're back. So, the next beer that we are going to have while we keep talking about a little bit of beer news 
is a very special beer that my wonderful co-host brought tonight. Look at that. With this beer, I go from sidekick to co-host. Amanda, tell them a little about the beer. <laughs> this is Orville, um, which is, of course, one of the Trappist ales of the world, um, meaning that it's brewed in a monastery and the proceeds benefit the monastery. Um, you have to follow very specific guidelines to be a Trappist ale. Uh, this particular Orville I purchased um, a couple of years ago, and they are one of the ones that actually put a date on it. And you might remember from last week, we had a long discussion about dates. Uh, this one has a bottle-on date of January 6th, 2010, and a best-before date of January 6th, 2015. So we are looking at a three-and-a-half-year-old bottle, if my uh, math is not failing me right now. Um, and I had heard that three is sort of the magic um, years for aging for this bad boy. So it's 6.9% alcohol. So that seems like even a little bit long for something that low. But again, I'm going off uh, someone that told me three years. So we're going to try this and see if they were wrong. There's a reason they call it Orful Magic. What's that, Brian? They call it Orful Magic. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a good story. <laughs> All a right. Story. Here we go. Cheers. Incredibly mild. Yeah, that is a lot more mild than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. That really changed in three years. Yes, it did. I mean, it's, it's good. It's just... The nose is still very much... Very sour. Yeah. Yep. You're getting all that Brett kind of a dry smell out of it. Yeah, that, that really... You said dry. It really dried out. It really... I just got like a hint of a mint or something right at the end of it. Yeah. I would say that if you poured this for me, I wouldn't think it was Orville. I would think it was... I don't know what I would think it was. It's very mild. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a really dry Belgian pale ale now. Yes. It's not... It definitely has nothing skunky about it or anything like that. Yeah. Um, huh. I don't taste anything like it's damaged. It's just incredibly mild. Yeah, very different than I thought it would be. Still really good, though. Yeah, still so, dig it. Excellent. If only we had a fresh one to try at the same time. Okay, so anyway, um, while we drink this, we'll get back to one or two more things here. I'm gonna, this week I'm going to try to split the show up a little bit into uh, a couple of the really cool or interesting beer things that, uh, that I've found throughout the week, and then go to a little bit more random talk and... Trying a couple of the really weird beers. Uh, we snuck the Orville in here just because we were both really excited for it. <laughs> candy, we didn't, candy store. It didn't really feel like wait, letting it sit anymore. Yeah, I don't know. It says best before 2015. I don't know if I wanted to go all the way to 2015. Yeah. Not, not to get stuck on this for too long, but it would be incredibly mild in 2015. Yeah, it, it all, I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah, I'll do it again next time if I can wait five years. Yeah. Which, you know, just a thing about uh, Orville. Fresh Orville is probably one of my favorite beers in the world. Absolutely. Now I'm interested in what my one-year-old downstairs is doing. <laughs> vertical next time. Damn it, vertical. So it was just kind of, you know, kind of small and interesting. And I'm probably going to say this wrong. So if you're hearing this and you know I'm saying it wrong, can you tell me how to say it, please? Uh, Nelson Selvin Hops. Uh, looks like they were highly impacted by unseasonal conditions. Nelson Salvin hops are grown in New Zealand. So this time of year, it is fall there. So they are harvesting their hops this time of year. 
it looks like their their yield was below what they were expecting and below last year. Uh, Amanda and I were actually talking before the podcast that we don't really know too many beers that really rely on those hops. So we don't know how much that's going to impact beers that we kind of know and love. But definitely interesting to see what, you know, half a world away, what unseasonal conditions can do. And it's um, very interesting in comparison because uh, this AppalachianBeer.com that Brian has for us, uh, they were saying for purposes of comparison, uh, American farmers harvested more than 5 million pounds of Cascade, uh, which I think is tremendous. That is ridiculous yeah, when you're looking it's, it's, at it's huge. just a tiny amount of these random hop varietals that we spice up our beers with these days. And it looks like 216,000 pounds of Nelson Salvin hops. What's the math in that? 216 to 5 million? A lot less. <laughs> Math at this point in the podcast is not not allowed. Math super sober, I can't even do. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting to see if there are some beers that I don't know that use these hops that might be impacted. Yeah, if there, um, are, if there are some big ones out there that we're not aware of, let us know. Uh, we were kind of thinking that the couple that we knew were just very local, uh, small breweries that barely do any production. Uh, because, of course, you want to make a name for yourself by using a different hop, something to jump out. We are, we are wondering how that will impact the beers that we do know. So, last uh, last kind of news thing, I guess, kind of a good segue into the, the randomness section, is something that, first off, you know, I'll preempt this with, this is bullshit. So, well, the uh, this is bullshit section from now on. The on, on tap liquid beer enhancer. Uh, I saw this all over Twitter and Facebook. I'm sure a couple of you guys might have seen something about it. Um, it's basically, it's the, uh, the Mio... Uh, flavor enhancer they you put in water to make your water taste like different things. Uh, they made it for beer, which is just ridiculous. And from their Facebook page, OnTap says, "Watch the video to see how you can use OnTap's beer liquid enhancer to convert a boring domestic beer into a craft American ale. Uh, your beer, your way." I just I think it's insulting to call to to claim that you can squirt a flavor into a Budweiser. And call it a craft beer. And, you know, going over how much this costs, which it looks like it's about, you know, 4 to $6 per bottle that you get, you know, you know, a couple servings out of, should equate out to getting a cheaper craft beer every time. And it's just amazing to me. I just think it's ridiculous. Well, yeah, I do agree. I, I didn't think of that when Brian first told me about this. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it is insulting. I mean, here you have a whole bunch of craft brewers who are, you know, really promoting their brand as something that is independent and something that is uh, very carefully selected ingredients, you know, no expenses spared, and you're going to make uh, beer into that culture just by squirting some color into it. Uh, I would love to try it, that being said. Um, not because I'm looking to spice up my 2010 Orville, mind you, uh, but just to see what it's all about. I guess there is some slim chance that it could do some good uh, for flavor, people that want to have a flavor beer, because if you are literally a Budweiser person, actually, you know what, I don't even think I can say this, because uh, I, I am literally just going to go back over what I just said. Uh, if you are already drinking a Bud Light, it's because you think you don't like the flavor of beer. Uh, squirting a flavor of beer into it probably isn't going to make you like it. Uh, so I'm going to retract 
the statement I was about to make and uh, say that I'm not sure who this is going to appeal to. Uh, but I, I still would kind of like to try it if a free one kind of showed up by Brian. Oh, and we'll, we'll definitely try it for a podcast as soon as I can find it. You know, I even told the company I didn't think they were aiming at the right market. But just like Amanda said, um, I don't even know what the market is. Yeah. You know, you know the, the half-assed craft beer liker that just likes the taste of hops? Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, um, I don't even know if or, that exists, to be honest. You know, I mean, you know, at first I thought if you went to a party, you could bring it because if they had cheap beer, you can make it taste like what you like. But you could very easily just pick up a, a six-pack and bring, you know, bring that beer and share good beer with the one or two other people, you know, that weren't smart enough to bring beer with them to the party. So, I don't know. I think it's ridiculous. I think it, you know, I'm a big fan of craft beer culture and... You know, I don't mean to sound exclusionary at all, because that's not the case, but I'm very protective of, you know, of that culture, and anyone that tries to trivialize, you know, what all these craft brewers out there are doing, you know, I'm sure a lot of craft brewers would love to sell to Budweiser and become millionaires, and, you know, have the easy life, but they consider what they do an art. So you're kind of, sort of, taking that away from them. I absolutely agree. So, um... You know, if if same idea, if anyone out there has tried it, let me know. I'm interested. But if I find it, I'm I'll try it at least once just to just to see. I think it comes in two flavors, right? There's a hop and a American yeah, a, or something. Ameri- what is it? American ale and pale ale. American American ale. So you can you can flavor your beer like American ale, guys. Yeah. Kind of a good segue into my you know a little bit lighter topics is something I'm kind of excited for. And I mentioned this in a post a while ago. Uh, Iron Maiden made their own beer. Uh, Robinson's Brewery uh, put it out uh, in in England. Uh, it was called Trooper. You know, after the great Iron Maiden album uh, with their their artwork and everything. It's finally coming to the U.S. So I'm super excited for that because I really want to try it. I don't know if anyone saw anything about this, but in Sweden they actually had to change the Trooper logo from what it is with the. Uh, you know, the skeleton soldier. Yeah, skeleton soldier in the uh, you know, uniform. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, to the Sweden said that it was uh, it wasn't good. They didn't like it. It was offensive. So they actually made it a zoomed in version of the skull with an attached head. And I want to read up on this. I'm, I'd love to know. And this is my fault. Uh, what they found offensive about it? Uh, honestly, it's just a, a stylized skeleton. Um, but then the picture that I'm looking at is not the entire label, so I guess I can't... Oh, Brian's going to fix this for me. So basically, it was just kind of ridiculous. Um, so they actually had to make a completely different label for the Swedish market. So I'll actually post a uh, post a link to this so you can see it. Uh, it's actually just the zoomed-in skull versus the full picture from the label. It's pretty amazing. I just think it's kind of Oh, funny. here we go. Here we go. Due to local Swedish government alcohol and marketing act... They do not allow elements of war, weapons, or aggression to be featured on alcoholic products. That's fantastic. That's a very interesting thing to hear about. Now, now mind you, the only weapon that you can see is the very tip of a sword behind the skeleton. Ooh, I didn't even notice that. And the war flag. Yeah, so. I guess you can see the stripes on his jacket. Yeah. But, it, I mean, no. I mean, it's it's. I would not say it was clearly... Uh, even a soldier, honestly. Yeah. No, it's it's kind of funny. So we were talking about beer laws in PA. There's a weird one out of Sweden. Yeah. So anyway, that beer is going to be available. I'm really interested to see where I could find it, just to add the bottle to my collection. 
I think it'd be better or worse than the uh, Donnie Iris beer. Uh, I imagine Iron Maiden would kill Donnie Iris. <laughs> um, if you don't know who Donnie Iris is, Wikipedia. So anyway, um, that, that's about it for the, the beer news. Not a whole bunch of crazy, crazy beer news going on this week. Um, but a couple things that I just thought were interesting as I read. So kind of on to the, the randomness. Uh, following up from last week, the, the canning and the beer cans that we talked about. Um, I've been reading and following something, a uh, really interesting trend. It's mobile canning. Now, I think that's really cool. I never so, heard of this until Brian mentioned it today. So basically, this truck pulls up to your brewery, no matter what size it is, and they can your beer for you. They label it, and they give it to you, and you can sell it then. I don't believe any of these are in Pennsylvania where we are, but I've seen them in Michigan and a couple other states. Just really cool that you know there there's actually services out there now that can help those tiny tiny breweries you know those nano breweries actually package their beer and get it to market real quick uh, canning lines are outrageously expensive right now there's just they're a rarity enough that it is very 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 expensive i assume the cost is going to go down soon enough since everybody cans now everyone has a line and they'll be selling as they grow bigger but yeah that's why this is especially interesting for uh, little guys that realize that canning um, is better for their package they just can't afford it wow better better for their package can we edit that one no 100% not <laughs> so anyway yeah it's really cool I, I think it's pretty awesome if you've read the site or listened to my podcast I'm a huge proponent for canning I think it's great Hopefully we can get something like that to a lot of the smaller breweries around us so that I can buy the beer to take home and, and eat something other than a growl. So, with that, we are on to the next big topic I want to talk about. It's something that I love. Uh, it is sour beer. I, I want to say we love. I'm going to step in here. I love a little more. I loved it first. So sour beer is great. Um, it's probably one of my favorite styles. It's the most unique style. And I just think that it, it gives kind of the, oh, it's probably a bad word, but the weirdest experience. Oh. Um, you know, you don't really know what you're going to try when you try a sour beer. You know, if you get a brown ale or an IPA, you have a really good idea what you're going to get. But if you're trying a sour ale that you really haven't tried before, I think it's really cool. Yes. I mean, look like Orville is kind of, sort of. You're yeah. starting to get into that sort of strange territory that you wouldn't expect when you open a beer. Yes. You know, and, and like, you know, here after a little bit of aging, we had absolutely no idea what we would get. Whereas you age some other beers, you kind of have a clue what you're going to get. Right. So it's just something I think is really cool. So sour beer wise, uh, we actually have an interesting one to try a little bit later, but we have to finish our Orville first. And actually you're being a bitch about this one. I, I guess I have to pause this and finish my beer. <laughs> Okay, man. the next beer I have is another beer from the uh, uh, Monthly Club site. It's their Rare Beer Club. Ooh. Mm -hmm. uh, we need a sound for that in the future. Yeah, I'm, th I'm thinking the uh, Law & Order sound. Oh! Junk, junk. Yeah. Exactly. Actually, no, I lied. I have that one next. This is one I picked up randomly somewhere. I'm an idiot. Oh. So this is the uh, this is actually from the brewery. It's our Saison Roux. Uh, it is a eight and a half percent farmhouse ale with bread and amices. Uh, um, I've always said Britannomyces. And she's also always been wrong. <laughs> hey, it's how you grow up, alright? I'm from that part of the city. 
so it looks like a pretty awesome beer. Uh, one of the, the you know, one of their bigger bottles, uh, bottle conditioned. Uh, it's a Belgian style ale with rye. Uh, huh, looked interesting, so I got it. So what really sucks is, is I met like the owner and the brewmaster several years ago in Philly before I even knew who these people were, which is one of those things that I kick myself about because they huh. make such fantastic beers, but at the time I was just, you know, some schlub who didn't know better. All right, anyway. So let's give this a quick try and see what we think, and we'll move on. It's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that beer. I don't know if I'm just not picking up any Brett because of the last beer. I mean, I'm just getting straight farmhouse here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very good rye farmhouse ale. Oh, it's, it's lovely. Yeah, it's absolutely lovely. But I was actually kind of hoping that would segue us into our talk about uh, sour beers. I was hoping, too, because I actually said, you know, right before we started today, that Brett was not my favorite. You can do way too much Brett in a beer and just get so much dry mouth out of it. And we were thinking maybe we would get an opportunity to sample that in this one. And um, it must be the right amount of Brett, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, that's kind of always the thing. If you can't pick out the the ingredients, they're probably blended well. Right. Absolutely. So, I mean, this is a pretty awesome beer. Um, I just, you know, check Beer Advocate. The Beer Advocate scores 100. Well, the you know, bros. Yeah. The the bros are 100. Uh, but still 92 for everyone else. Uh, 800 ratings. It's pretty good. But yeah, yeah it's a pretty good beer. Um, so I guess kind of getting, you know, back into the sour beer thing. Um, and trying to actually teach something. Um, yeah, the whole the whole idea when you brew beer normally is that it's nice and clean and... Controlled. Yeah, controlled. The only yeast that goes into it, the only bacteria that goes into it is the one you add very specifically uh, when you pitch your yeast and then you, know, you do everything in your power to make sure that it no, nothing else goes into it. Right. Sour beers are the opposite. Uh, you know, it's not complete bedlam, but... It's. It might as well be. I mean, let's be honest. Anytime that you leave something open or aren't immediately squirting it with alcohol in your homebrew setup, uh, there's a chance mm-hmm. to ruin a beer. So we're we're doing a good ruin. We're doing an excellent um, ruin. Yeah. So so ideally the you know the farmhouse ales are ideally you know beers that were made in in farm country originally that kind of were just spontaneously fermented with wild yeast. I mean, obviously they control that more now and they release. You know the certain strains of wild yeast that they want into it, but really, and once again, I'm sure I'm saying all these wrong, but it's how they sound in my head. Uh, you know, you have brewers' yeast, uh, saccharomyces that you know you normally use to brew with. Then you have uh, lactobacillus, uh, brettanomyces, and one I never heard of before until today, uh, pediococcus. That that are all those ones are actually there to sour the beer. Um, you know, they're just bacteria; they're they're bugs, um, just like yeast is, but you really think about how bonkers this is, though, that you would just allow this vat, you know, of malts and hops and water to sit open in a, in literally a building like a farm and just allow this wild yeast, which, you know, back in the day was only available, you know, well, available sounds weird, but coming out of the air in bits and pieces of Belgium. Um, so technically, you know, like a champagne, uh, you couldn't have a, a true wild sour unless you were in that very specific part of that country. But like Brian said now, of course, you have to add these these strains yourself to a closed system. One of my favorite things about sour beers is while it is still wild, it has to be completely and utterly controlled. 
Um, if you try to brew with a wild yeast strain and you are not uh, careful about cleaning afterwards, this wild yeast can literally contaminate your entire system. Um, and not just contaminate, but ruin. If I'm not mistaken, that's Jolly Pumpkin, right? Right, and Jolly Pumpkin was one of these really, really awesome accidents. Uh, he was one of the first in the United States to try to use these wild yeast strains. Didn't exactly know what he was doing. Um, apparently, it got it got loose, and now all of his things are sour. But he was able to embrace that. Um, a lot of other breweries just decided to try it with one. It goes crazy. Guess what? That contaminates the entire rest of your brewery. So... Happy mistake, Jolly Pumpkin. Unhappy mistake, disgusting flavored beer. Yeah, and we've actually had a couple local breweries that are remain nameless. Um, I almost said. <laughs> that, that released unknown sour versions of their beer uh, thanks to a little bit of infection. you got to remember, in this case, infection technically can be a good term. Right. You know, you do, you know, adding Brett to your beer is infecting your beer. Right. But if you do it by mistake... Not so good. Now, mind you, nothing nothing that uh, can harm you can grow in beer, but that doesn't mean it doesn't taste horrible. <laughs> and really, what do we care more about, getting sick or tasting something bad? Oh, right? Fair enough, absolutely. So, one beer that Amanda and I both have in our basement that we couldn't stand apart with tonight was uh, from Weyerbacher Brewing. It's their Reserva. And out of Easton, PA. They're actually a pretty small brewery in comparison. Uh, but if you check the Wikipedia page on sour beer, they're actually listed because they've they're they're actually really big into uh, the few you know the small sour beer you know program that they have. And a lot of these breweries, how they have uh, you know sour beer programs is actually brewing a standard beer, putting it in barrels, and infecting the barrels. So that's what Weyerbacher does. It's what some of the other uh, breweries do. Their their beer Reserva. Uh, you're, you're looking at a beer with raspberry. Yes. Yeah, Reserva. Uh, with, with yep. Raspberry puree, and uh, it's soured and aged in uh, oak casks. It is amazing. Uh, I think it's one of those awesome sour beers that you're not going to pay an arm and a leg for because, unfortunately for Weyerbacher, but fortunately for us, uh, it hasn't been able to make that sort of national name for itself. So it's like this little hidden gem um, that when you're in the know and you see it, you know, you can get it for 12 14 bucks instead of spending upwards or uh, basically... We were kind of just BS and look in the Wikipedia article, and it mentions, you know, national names, Cascade, you know, Russian River, big guys like that, Rodenbach, which, as an aside, is probably my favorite intro to the style. Uh, but then there's also Weyerbacher, and they are. They're this little hidden gem that I totally recommend. So if you see anything uh, Weyerbacher out there, just buy it. Basically, everything they do is good, but their their sour stuff is phenomenal. And they're not a sour brewery by any means. No, but they're definitely a Belgian brewery. Yeah. I mean, they do take a lot of Belgian styles and Americanize them a little bit. Um, but that Reserva, oh man, five out of five stars. But we both have one in our basement. We're both kind of sketchy about opening it. And I know I just said in my last podcast with Brian that, uh, you know, we didn't want to be snobs about these kind of things, but... That bad boy's going to wait for a very special occasion, I think. Yeah, probably mine, too. <laughs> um, so, that, that's kind of my, my little thing about sour beer. I'm kind of a big fan of them. I imagine we'll hear some more in these podcasts and see a little more on the site. But, you know, as for this brewery, not the not the sour that I was expecting uh, when I opened it. So, I'm kind of let down by that. But, I mean, 
if I didn't know that it had Brighton it. Right. I think it's pretty awesome. Oh, absolutely. It just doesn't work in the favor of what we're trying to do with our sour beer discussion. Yeah. Um, the one thing I do want to say about sours, though, is because I also am extremely passionate about this style. Um the first thing is, when you go, if you haven't had a sour beer before, uh, that probably sounds really gross. Um, sour and beer, not really fantastic together in the sense of those two words. If you are just trying your first one, um, this is what I also call a two-sipper. You take that first sip, and it doesn't taste anything like any kind of beer you've ever thought of. You've really got to kind of go through this one and try it a couple times. Not to say that it's bad, it's just not what your palate is going to expect. I would prepare myself more for, say, sampling a cider. Uh, it has that same sort of feeling in your cheeks, you know, down yeah. your throat. Yeah, that sort of tartness. And I did mention very briefly Rodenbach. Uh, that was my foray into sours. It is fantastic. Uh, there is sort of a cherry version if you kind of want to ease yourself into it. That's a little bit sweeter. Um, you're probably very familiar with Lindemann's, um, uh, which makes a goose style um, they make a raspberry, a creek, uh, a palm, uh, a couple different flavors, and then they have just the regular goose version, which is extremely sour. It's just, I think, a very refreshing style, uh, and it's one of the few things that I can drink if I am hungover. <laughs> I don't know exactly if that's a good or a bad thing, but it just tastes so different from beer that even if you're beered out, uh, sour will always hit the spot. And sorry, that's my little rant there. I, I love sours. One of my favorite quotes from a beer sampling I did was uh, when I was doing Linderman's was I like the cherry frambois the best. Cherry frambois. Nice. So, let, let that one sink in. If you don't know what it what, what the joke is, look it up. It's pretty funny. <laughs> I kind of give them props for being able to say frambois though. Yeah, you know, at least if they're, right, if they're using it incorrectly, they're using it semi-correctly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, at least, at least they knew. Um, <laughs> as opposed to a lot of the people that picked it up to buy it when they sampled it and heard it was around 3.2%, I believe. And, that's the other nice thing and about And put these. it down and walked away. Yeah, that's the other nice thing about these is they are usually lower alcohol. And I, oh, really, my old liver just wants some sessionable low alcohol stuff that still has a ton of flavor. Exactly. So, yeah, so while this uh, Saison Rue, not the sour I was expecting... Definitely an excellent saison. Yeah, I think we'll have a, a, a real honest goodness sour to try next time. We'll, we'll have to see if I can find another uh, another reserva to try, or someone could donate a bottle if they're feeling very friendly. Yeah, it's uh, of course if you try, it, don't try it before you you donate it if you want to because you won't donate it. No, that'll uh, be your baby forever. Yeah, you'll just keep two. That's really kind of it for all the stuff I had planned. Um, got a couple more minutes here, to kind of talk about some randomness. I also wanted to try. Uh, you know, in a minute here, I have a really interesting beer that I've been dying to try that I got from this rare beer club. It's actually the one I mistook this brewery for. Uh, it's the, the McKellar Mexis Ranger. Really excited to try this beer. Um, i got to be honest, I am too. <laughs> uh, and 100% honest, I don't think I'm going to end up liking it. So the McKellar Mexis Ranger is an ale brewed with spices, almond milk, cocoa, chili, black beans, and avocado leaves. Um, you want to read that again, Brian? Yeah. Let that sink in. Spices, almond milk, cocoa, chili, black beans, and avocado leaves. Uh, I've never chewed on an avocado leaf before, mm -mm. so I don't know what they taste like. But 
to me, that's kind of sounding like one of the dogfish head uh, spice bombs. Like a positive contact. Yeah, just, yeah. you know, everything in the kitchen sink dumped into it. The only thing that made me want to try this is it's McKellar. And I've really yet to try anything uh, anything McKellar that I didn't like yet. I know, and, and we have drank uh, weasel shit beer from McKellar, so... Yeah, and it's just, they're, they're a Copenhagen brewery, and they're just really, really awesome. They push the envelope, but it's never, you know, as much as we were kind of joking about this kitchen sink concept, uh, McKellar still does really good things, and they have such a broad range of things, and I don't ever feel like they're just doing it to sort of screw with you, except maybe the, the weasel shit stuff, but that beer, beer Geek Breakfast is really, really good. Yeah, and I've had a couple of their IPAs that have just been... You know, yeah, the Brew Dog one, that's good. I had one that was out of out of date. Uh, it tasted t- terrible. Aw. But, um, but it's out of date. It's not McKellar's. Yeah, but short, uh, short of that, everything I've had from them has been phenomenal. So I'm excited. Um, this is this sounds crazy, but I love spicy stuff in my beer. Mm, um, yeah. So I hope that the spices will come through, maybe more so than the, say, avocado leaves. Yeah. So, uh, I think we're going to finish up this brewery, and then let's try some McKellar Nexus Ranger. Um, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. So, we'll open this up, and um, we'll actually talk about McKellar here just a little bit, because they're actually a pretty, uh, pretty damn interesting brewery. So, McKellar is, um, I don't know, it's a horrible thing to say about them, but they pioneered what's called the Gypsy Brewing. Amanda, why don't you... Kind of okay. since you told me what it is. No, that's fair. Um, and they kind of got some crap in it from, like, legitimate brewers for a little while. Um, as a quote-unquote gypsy brewer, uh, they basically travel around. They don't have their own brewing facility. Um, they use the goodwill of others and um, use the systems already in place. Uh, so this one in particular was brewed at De Proof out of Belgium. Uh, you probably would recognize the name De Proof uh, if you drink a lot of Belgian brands. They make a stellar amount of, if we can go back to it, sours, but also other brands. Anyways, the first time I had this one, um, basically I was saying Gypsy kind of got a bad name because they don't have their own system. They didn't set up, uh, they don't really have their own ingredients that they have to worry about, their own rent to worry about, etc., etc. Uh, but they've really made a name for themselves in this industry because they do all these very strange, uh, pushing the boundaries beers. So, uh, kitchen sink is a bad word. But at the same time, it's always, always, always something different. So I am totally excited to try this. Enough jibber-jabber. In my mouth it goes. Cheers. Tastes like a stout. Yeah, that's actually really good. So one of the cool things from this uh, Rare Beer Club is they give you a kind of a little newsletter on the beers you get every month. This one here on the Mexican Ranger says that the style is sweet stout-ish. Yeah. So I think that bingo. Means that they, they basically started with a sweet stout and then added, you know, all their randomness to it. Other than sweet stout, I really don't think anything else. Well, we'll go into our two sipper rule that yeah. I have and yeah. see if we pick up something else. And I don't. No, I mean it just. I am. Mean, <laughs> I am struggling. I don't pick it, up anything. I mean, it just tastes like a really good sweet stout. Yeah, actually, it's nice. Uh, it's like six and a half percent, six point six percent alcohol. Man, I wanted I wanted some spiciness though. I was really excited to get some spiciness. I mean, I guess I guess on the the very end of the finish, I get a little bit of cocoa. Sure, but uh, uh, not to 
lump these things together, but stout and chocolate are yeah. pretty synonymous. Oh, boy. Synonymous. Oh, boy. And we're at that point of the podcast. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I can't say I pick out the, uh, the, the almond milk or the black beans in this. Or uh, whatever avocado leaves are. Yeah, I mean, maybe I do pick out the avocado leaves. I don't know. We just don't know it. It's good, though. Uh, I would totally recommend this. Uh, yeah. Maybe not for what's in it, but it's a really good style. Yeah. Um, honestly, I was kind of scared that I would hate this because I really like their single hop series. So I'm pretty pretty happy with this. I mean, you know, this the the newsletter this comes with is like a, a two page. You know, kind of talks about the you know the the basics of what McKellar is and talks a little bit about what they did with this beer. And it even says here that if you read the ingredients that I just read, you'd be very skeptical and that you wouldn't be alone, but the addition of atypical ingredients has arguably gone from points of desperately needed innovation early on to approaches that suggest a, hey, I wonder if I could use this legume mushroom feral animal in the brew pot sloppiness. Um, I'm really not getting that. I, I really do get that. You know, whatever they added to it, honestly, it just seems like they added it so they could brag that they added black beans to a beer. I think part of it is, though, too, that they're looking at the black beans um, and the almond milk as a, a residual sugar. Um, I don't know that that means they didn't use any kind of malts or grains or whatever. I'm not saying that's the only reason you're getting any kind of alcohol out of this, but uh, I guess it's not a flavoring thing. I guess it is literally just, you know, fermentable sugar product. Yeah, and even the uh, the you know the people that made this the the Monthly Clubs uh, folks even said that this is uh, an especially well appointed sweet stout or strong porter around eight percent that it, it somewhat resembles that uh, it's merely six point six percent and it's brewed with a collection of ingredients that normally have little or nothing to do with dark beers but it still meshes well mm-hmm. so. Unlike a couple of the other things, like I love Dogfish Head, I love a lot of their beers, but a lot of them turn into what we call spice bombs. That's just a lot of very obscure spices and flavorings that go into a beer that none of us know what tastes like. Mm-hmm. How do you know that it's good in your beer? I don't know what grape musk tastes like. Or canis root or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that I can taste it in there if I knew what those things tasted like, but right. I, I, don't, I don't know. I guess I it makes me want to be a foodie. But as a lay person drinker, I'm lost. But but I mean overall everything they put into this, I really think that it uh I I think it works as a sweet style really well. I mean it's yes. not too high in alcohol. It's it's overall pretty good. Unfortunately, uh the other bit that, that we got with this is that only sixty cases were released for the whole country and then um, whatever else was available went to this brew club. So that could make it remarkably difficult to find. But if you do see it, yeah, pick it up. Yeah, and I mean, I guess it's kind of a... This is my first real experience with this uh, beer club, and uh, so far everything I've tried from them has been phenomenal. Uh, I guess even just for bragging rights that you could say you tried McKellar Texas Ranger is kind of a cool reason to... Mexis Ranger. Yeah. Walker Mexis Ranger. (laughs) Uh, that it's kind of a cool thing just to just say I have it to keep the bottle and put it on a shelf. But yeah, overall, pretty good. So that's about everything I had planned. Um, I'd still like to keep going for another couple minutes and, you know, to finish this beer. This past weekend, I actually kind of went on a little mini beer, va- uh, beer, vacation, beer vacation. 
uh, with the wife, and uh, we went to um, a couple of different breweries and brew pubs in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, last episode, we talked about Fatheads having their own uh, brew pub in Cleveland and opening another one. We actually went to the one in Cleveland and had a great experience. Uh, the first beer we actually tried tonight was a 10% Belgian for them called Sorcerer. Uh, real good, solid, um, uh, strong dark ale. Uh, they had a bunch of beers on that I haven't seen that you can't get in bottles. Uh, overall, pretty great place. Great food. Uh, our own good time. Uh, we hit the uh, Market Garden Brewery. Uh, I'm very, very jealous of that. I've heard um, very, very, very good things about that place. You know, it was good and bad. Uh, a couple of the a couple of the beers I had, I wasn't too impressed with. Oh, really? Um, really impressed with their pale ale. Uh, not so much with... I'm trying to think of the one I tried I didn't like now. Was it just uh, a flavor issue, or was it just... Um... I think it was an impress issue. Oh, really? Uh, I, don't, I was expecting a little bit more... From from them being a you know a very small and they are is it true they're set up directly across from Great Lakes basically yeah yeah um, so that's I mean that's almost something to live up to right then when you're directly across from a very successful brewery yeah and and I mean their their food was phenomenal uh, great amazing food you know if you're in Cleveland and um, I believe they called Ohio City area I believe uh, right where uh, Great Lakes Brewery and Brew Pub is. Uh, I'd really recommend going there, getting something to eat, and trying their sampler. I mean, it was all around good, and I would drink any of their beers again, hands down. The only one I didn't get to go see in that area, uh, there's actually a brewery called Nano Brewery. We didn't have enough time to go see them. Basically, uh, I've heard really good things about them. Just didn't get a chance to. Hmm. There's only so much drinking you can do in, uh, what, two days? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a very small little vacation, and a lot of other things fit into it, but... Fit as much beer into it as we could. Anything amazing beer-wise in your week, Amanda? Uh, sadly, no. I think I had a pretty boring week. I got my Colorado badge and untapped. That was sort of my grand goal <laughs> what of the week. was that? I had two great divides. So I revisited the Titan IPA, uh, which I hadn't had in probably four or five years. Uh, it was way maltier than I remembered. Kind of sweet, but it was good. And then today I had the... Um, Chocolate oak aged Yeti. Oh, um, that's beer. Yeah, it was uh, a little bit too strong. I sampled it at lunch and kind of blew my palate, but um, it was lovely. I mean, there was so much roasty, chocolatey right at the end of it. I would totally recommend. That comes in a twenty-two, by the way, um, if you see it out. But so, just like the uh, last time I had uh, parat for lunch, call it the schedule clear. Oh, for sure. Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah, there's a, it's nice to have a beer at lunch, but not if it puts you to sleep. Yeah. But no, um, sorry, I had a boring one. No, yeah, that's fine. So, just kind of looking back real quick. Yeah, the PA improvisation thing, uh, it's pretty awesome. Uh, really hoping that, you know, they can figure something out and pass something that works for everyone, you know, all around. I'm really sad about the AB InBev Modelo merger. Yeah, it's just another giant player that's going to control the way that... There's a reason monopolies are bad. They really do kind of control a lot of that, a lot more than we know or give credit for. And sadly, local hops do go to American, well, American's the wrong word now, uh, to AB and Bev Miller Coors kind of beers. So a lot of the times, unless you're going very, very small, uh, like say a Sorgles Orchard in Wexford, you are feeding uh, the mega beers, your local hops. So I guess my, I, I think what Amanda and I agree on in this is vote with your money. You, you know, if you go to a bar and you buy a Miller Lite, you buy a Budweiser, 
you know, I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining by any means, but just know that you are voting with your money. You are, get, you know, saying that that's what people want. Every keg they sell, they reorder. Exactly. You know, we talked about the the AB InBev Goose Island. Well, it is good that the people at Goose Island that are really phenomenal brewers can have a little more money to brew with. You know, it, it is sad that they are under the control of AB InBev. So while they're not technically craft brewers anymore, they do get to do what they do best and what they love, but there are more controls on that now. And that money does go to, you know, not to an independent company, but people that are out there just to make money, not to you know, make the art that we all appreciate. AB InBev doesn't purchase because they respect a brand. They purchase because they fear a brand. And you can look at national statistics and see that every month these domestic brands are dying. I mean, small percentages at a time, but they're dying. And the craft brands are on fire. AB InBev, as much as it's kind of crazy to say, is afraid of this. And if they can control these brands that are making this money and taking away their sales, why wouldn't they want to buy that? Why wouldn't they want that in-house? Um, and you as a consumer really have to figure out if this is something that you're okay with. And you have to think, oh, excuse my French, am I fucking Goose Island, you know, by buying this brand or choosing not to purchase this brand? Or am I making a decision as an informed consumer that... AB and Bev is, has taken this over, you know? Um, I don't know. It's a hard one. Obviously, it was not a, a hostile takeover like uh, when they purchased Anheuser Busch itself, but at the same time, it's not an innocent, uh, hey, we want to help Goose Island. There's no such thing as AB and Bev helping people, they only help themselves. Yeah, so I mean, just something to remember when you buy your beer. Last kind of big thing that we talked about was the uh, liquid beer enhancer on tap. Not to be confused with the phenomenal guys at Untap <laughs> that uh, run the program that most of us use to keep track of the beers we drink and to brag to our friends about the beers we have. Absolutely. Um, you know, phenomenal guys. If you don't use their app, go use it. U N T A P P D. No E. Uh, you know, go use their app. Uh, if you love it, give them their five bucks a month. They're yeah, they're great. You get to uh, export your you know, list of all the beers you had. Literally, for quite a while, you can see what you've had, what you rated it before. Uh, maybe you were intoxicated when you had the last time. You disagree with your own rating, you can change it. Yeah. So, um, you know, not to confuse anything we're complaining about with them, but the the on tap. Uh, I'm sure there's some nice guys that have the best meanings behind them, but yeah, I see it as kind of an insult. Sour beers, love sour beers. I strongly recommend them. If you can find something sour, give it a try. Uh, the first sour I had was uh, Duchess du Bourgogne. Ah, uh, maybe the finest in the market, to yeah, be honest. I, I love it. Uh, one of my favorites. And oddly enough, you can find it more and more now. So, you know, if you could find that, I, I'd recommend you give it a try. If you are in Pittsburgh, it is available in Pittsburgh now. So don't be afraid to buy it. It's not old. And the the best I've seen it, or the farthest way I've seen it is Ohio, because it's usually the farthest I travel. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a fairly available brand. And it, along those lines, if you see a Monk's Cafe, too, I hardly recommend yes. that one. Uh, it is brewed by a Belgian company for uh, actual Monk's Cafe in Philadelphia. Recently, it was made available in the Pittsburgh area, so you're not buying old beer, excuse me, there either. So, um, give that one a whirl. It's a great amount of sour. Um, again, I, I hardly recommend Rodenbach. Uh, any other starters you recommend, Brian? No, that's really it. 
Oh, yeah, I'd say those are all pretty pretty solid ones to try. And then expand from there. When you see that Reserva, I'm telling you, ready for it or not, grab it. And one of my favorites that I've had a couple of here and there, uh, Jester King. Uh, the Jester King guys are phenomenal. Uh, they're doing the everything from the higher alcohol sours down to the table beers that you're looking at 3 to 4%. Um, Le Petit Prince. Le Petit Prince. Was that it is? <laughs> uh, a couple others. They're just, they're great beers. So, you know, give them a try if you could find them. And unless you have anything else, I think it's about it for the podcast. It's all you, Brian. Take it out. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, this is the second episode where we've kind of changed up the format. Got a whole bunch of great feedback. A little bit of complaining uh, about our level of complaining the last episode. So hopefully we're a little more positive. Uh, by all means, hit me up on Facebook, hit me up on Twitter, on craftbeeracademy.com. Let me know what you think. I really care what you think. I'd love to hear every one of you tell me what you think. Comments, criticism, and dialogue. This is, like I said last time, this is a discussion. Let's keep discussing. Exactly. The idea here, the reason I started this whole site and the whole podcast was to help inform people, both people that are veterans of the industry and people that are just starting and curious about the industry. Uh, so I welcome anything. Uh, if you think that I need to, you know, uh, back off things a little bit and explain in more detail, if you think I use too much detail, just tell me. Uh, but that's about it. Thanks all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Cheers. <laughs>